Our text this morning comes from the book we call the Acts of the Apostles that Dr. Luke wrote for us. It's in chapter 20. And it's a passage that has a most interesting background. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to get there in time for Pentecost. And he wants to visit with the church at Ephesus. Because the church at Ephesus was a place that Paul had labored. And he labored there sacrificially. And he labored there and had a very successful ministry at Ephesus. But because of the time constraints and making sure he gets to Jerusalem in time for the Pentecost feast, going to Ephesus is not a possibility for Paul. So Paul does the next best thing. He sends a Facebook message to the elders at Ephesus. Okay, he did it a different way, but I was just trying to tell you how you'd do it now. Paul sent a message to the elders of the Ephesian church and asked them to meet him in Miletus. Well, those elders from Ephesus get to Miletus and, and Paul pours his heart out to them. It's a very passionate meeting. It's a very heartwarming and at the same time heartrending meeting. He reminds them of his, of his work that he had with them, that, that he's been with them at all times and he's served the Lord. He's told them about Jesus. He says, when I was with you, he said, I held back nothing that was profitable to you. He said to them, he said, I'm free from the blood of all men. I did not shun, he said, in any way to present to you and preach to you the whole counsel of God. And then he says this in verse 28, Take heed to yourselves. And to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which He has purchased with His own blood. Now, instead of feed the church of God, the American Standard Version translates that differently. It translates that passage as the church of the Lord. And that is a better translation. And I like the sound of it. The church of the Lord, which He has purchased with His own blood. That particular part of that chapter, that last part of verse 28, that brings us face to face with Paul's concept of the church. It's impossible to read the writings of Paul from Romans all the way through to the book of Hebrews, if you think Paul wrote Hebrews. But you read all of Paul's 13 letters. And it's impossible to read Paul's letters without realizing that Paul thought grandly of the church. Some of the most heartbreaking memories of Paul's life were his memories of those times 
that he had persecuted the church. God had long since forgiven Paul. But have you not at some point in your life, I know I have, have we not all at some point in our life, in darker moments, in moments of quiet reflection, have we not wept over sins forgiven? Things that we know God has forgiven us of, things we know that God has put out of His memory, but still when we remember those darker moments in our own lives that it makes us weep because of the pain we've caused ourselves, the pain we might have caused others, and the pain we caused God. I have an idea in some moments of quiet reflection. Paul would sit and maybe he would relive in his mind holding the garments of those that stoned Stephen to death. And I think Paul could relive those moments and he could hear the voice of Stephen ringing in his ears, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And I have no doubt it brought tears to that tender-hearted apostle's eyes. But if some of Paul's most heartbreaking memories were those memories he had of persecuting the church, the most thrilling joy of Paul's life was that it was now his privilege to serve and belong to the church. That now he could have a role in helping to build the church. So what Paul did was he sought every opportunity to tell his converts and anybody he came in contact with about the beauty and the glory of the church. Paul wanted them to know just how valuable the church was. You see, Paul didn't think of the church like a lodge or a service organization or a political party. Paul thought of the church of the Lord as a family. And it wasn't just an ordinary family. It was the family of God. It was the household of faith. And then Paul also pictures the church as a bride. But when Paul chose to picture the church as a bride, she was no ordinary bride. She was a bride. Beautiful. Adorned for her husband without spot, without blemish. She was the bride of the world's Redeemer, Jesus. But then he also saw the church as the body of Christ. That living, breathing organism through which the Lord then and still speaks His message. The body that still carries on the mission of Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. I think probably that Paul's favorite conception, though, of the church was the church as the temple of the living God. He looked upon each and every individual saint 
That would be me and you. He looked upon each of us as a temple in which the Holy Spirit of God was dwelling. He would write, Know you not, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. So the church is a temple. Not of stones, but a temple composed of individual temples. It is built of the redeemed sons and daughters of God. And then in our text, Paul tells us what it cost. He pictures the church as being purchased by Jesus' own blood. He says that as a church, as a group, as individuals, those of us who belong to the church, we're not our own. But we have been bought with a price. That price, the precious blood of Jesus. Now, in our day and time, in our politically correct society, in our society where some folks' sensibilities are so easily offended, there are a lot of people today, religious people, who seem to be more repelled than enticed by the blood of Jesus. By the concept of the shed blood of God's own Son. I want you to remember something about this man, Paul. Paul, who had formerly been Saul of Tarsus, had studied at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most learned men of his day. Paul was one of the most cultured one of the highest educated, and one of the most sensitive individuals you'll meet anywhere on the pages of the New Testament. And this educated, cultured, sensitive man, Paul says, the church to which he belongs was purchased by the blood of Jesus. That is fundamental to the New Testament. You can't get rid of this concept of the shed blood of Jesus without tearing the Gospels and the Epistles to shreds. You take the shed blood of Jesus out of the New Testament. You take the fact that Jesus shed His blood to purchase the church out of the New Testament. And you have reduced it to mere shambles. A shadow of its former self. Paul believed it. And Paul rejoiced in it with unspeakable joy. If that passage I read just a moment ago in Acts 20 and verse 28, if that's the only reference there is to the fact that we were bought with a price well, then, then maybe it wouldn't be so impressive. But people, that fact, that concept, it runs throughout the entire New Testament. 
It runs through everything that Paul said. Think about how Paul summed up the gospel he had preached and the gospel he was preaching. He put it this way in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. He said, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. What was it, Paul? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Writing to that same church, that church in Corinth, that one that some have said was a scandalous church. In fact, one author refers to the first Corinthian letter as strong proofs for a scandalous church. Writing to that same church, Paul says, you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Phillips, you knew I was going to have to do that at some point, didn't you? Phillips translates it this way. You have been bought. And at what a price. I like good speed the best. Good speed translates that passage. It's in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, by the way. Good speed translates it. You have been bought and paid for. Paul's talking about me and you. He said, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. He said, no, Tim, you have been bought and paid for. And then again, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified. Folks, those are impressive words. Paul didn't claim that he was going to preach about Christ. Anybody can do that. What Paul did was proclaim. Paul heralded. Paul emphasized a crucified Jesus Christ. You remember when Paul went to Athens to preach? And he was there at the Areopagus, there on Mars Hill, preaching to all the learned men of, of Athens. Athens was the seat of scholarship in Paul's day. That was the place where all the really smart people were, was in Athens. And Paul, being an educated man himself, he decided that he would try to communicate with the Athenians, educated individual to educated individual. He decided he would complete compete he decided that he would speak to those educated people in Athens in their own vernacular. Educated man to educated men. He had show them, he'd show them that he too, he wasn't just an ignorant apostle of Jesus Christ. He was an educated man of learning. So Paul's preaching there at the Areopagus, and he quotes the Athenian poets. He quotes their own poets, poets to them as if he was an Athenian also. Go back and read in Acts about what happened when Paul went on his preaching mission to Athens. It was the least, one of the most least successful, if not the least successful, of any preaching mission Paul ever conducted. It was disappointing. There were so very few converts. 
So when Paul got to his next preaching appointment, he gave up the tactics he had used in Athens. He told his hearers the next place he went to preach, he said, I'm determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I'm not going to know anything among you here except Jesus Christ. And they crucified Jesus at that. You know why? Paul knew that that crucified Jesus was the one hope for the world. And when Paul says that we were bought with a price, and he says it unequivocally, Paul's not standing alone. That was the faith of his fellow saints. That was the faith of his brethren in the ministry. John was exiled to his island prison Rocky, the, the rocky island of Patmos. And John wanted to tell the world of the debt that he and his fellow Christians owed to Jesus. And here's how he referred to Jesus. It's in Revelation 1, verse 7. Him who loved us, and what, John? And washed us from our sin. In His own blood. The writer of the Hebrew letter believed that there was no entrance in the holiest of holies except by the blood of Jesus. Peter wrote a couple of letters to persecuted Christians. He was trying to bolster their courage and, and give them heart. And they were being scattered all over the earth and here's what Peter reminded them of. He said, you were redeemed. <clears throat> you were redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold. Well, Peter, if we weren't redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold, what were we redeemed with? The precious blood of Jesus. As a lamb without blemish. And without spot. Well, how did those great old saints like Paul and Peter and the writer of Hebrews, how did they come to that conclusion? They reached it from Jesus Himself. Jesus said, The Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Let that sunk in. He gave His life a ransom many. Remember last Lord's Day we talked about the Supper of the Lord, the memorial feast. I want you to visualize that scene in the upper room that night. I want you to visualize that scene as, as Jesus is, is celebrating the Passover with His disciples. Because it was during that feast Jesus dared to replace the Paschal Lamb with Himself. And I want you to picture it as, as Jesus takes the bread and He breaks it. And He puts a bit of it in the hand of Simon. 
the one who's going to deny Him in just a few hours. And then He takes a bit of that bread and puts it in the hand of Judas. The one that's going to betray Him. And He puts a bit of that broken bread into the hand of the other ten who are going to forsake Him and flee. And He says, This is My body which is given for you. He gave it for Simon that was going to betray Him. He gave it for, the, for Simon that was going to deny Him. He gave it for Judas that was going to betray Him. And He gave that body for those ten that were going to forsake Him and flee. And you know what else? He gave it for me. And you too. He says, this is Myself. This is My best. He says, this is my all. He said, and I'm giving it for you. I don't care how hard folks try to do it. We can't get away from that phrase that Paul told those elders of Ephesus. The church which he purchased with his own blood. We can't get away from that, folks, without destroying mutilating the New Testament. What did Paul mean by that? What do we mean when we use that language today? It means that Jesus has bought us. Because the church is composed of individual Christians. It means that Jesus has bought us at the price of a life laid down. And Paul is insistent on this doctrine of the cross. Because you see, it was a crucified Jesus Christ that has taken Paul's own heart captive. Jesus, who knew men as no other ever did, Jesus counted on His sacrificial death as His supreme appeal. Remember what Jesus said? He said, And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto Me. This He said, signifying the manner of death He would die. Jesus based His confidence for winning the souls of men and women on the appeal of the cross. And he was right. Through all the centuries, this strange man on the cross has cast his spell on the hearts of all sorts of men and women. He's cast his spell on all conditions of men and women. Write this down. It's on the final exam. Love that gives to the uttermost will win when everything else fails. It was that sacrificial love that won Paul's heart.
It was that sacrificial love of Jesus that caused Paul to have a desire to spend and be spent and ultimately lay down his own life in the service of Jesus. I want you to look back this morning by an eye of faith. And I want you to see the great Apostle Paul. I want you to see him squandering himself day by day on slaves and ex-slaves. I want you to see this man of scholarship and ability and talent allowing himself to be just literally used up by social nobodies. Doesn't it amaze us to see this great man with his burning passion throw himself away on these kinds of people? Because there seems to be so little reward for him. The only reward is shame and scars and finally, ultimately, imprisonment. Governor Festus once said, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning has made you mad. Paul said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus. I can almost hear this morning, by an ear of faith, I can hear Paul look Festus right straight in the eye and say, I'm giving myself, Festus, not because I'm mad. I'm giving myself because Jesus loved me. And Jesus gave Himself for me. Paul stood face to face with the crucified Jesus. And when He did, He surrendered everything to Him. And that's what we know in our heart of hearts we ought to do. That's what we long to do, is surrender everything to Jesus. And when we surrender everything to Jesus, when we lay ourselves at His feet as a living sacrifice, when we come to Him repenting of sin, confessing His name, and being buried in the waters of baptism, and we we allow Him to be the Lord and Master of our lives, and when we say, Lord, I surrender all, just the way God remade Saul of Tarsus and made him the Apostle Paul. When we surrender everything to Jesus, He'll remake us in just that same way. It's His invitation as we stand and while we